Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe and Raiders podcast, the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford route. Stan, how are we doing? Pretty good, pretty good, man. Uh, like I said, we had the draft last week, and now we're getting ready to uh, enter spring football over here at the high school down here in Texas. Man, you know, we're starting to get inching our way closer and closer to summer and then training camp, and we'll be through this thing all over again. <laughs> well, Stan, the Raiders added six more players through the draft and a handful more free agent rookies. The Raiders stuck to their board, they said, and took the best six players available, which included two offensive linemen two defensive linemen, and two running backs. Raiders draft clearly yeah. with an emphasis building through the trenches. The O-linemen were Dylan Parham out of Memphis, Thayer Munford from Ohio State. The running backs, Samir White out of Georgia, and Britton Brown from UCLA on the other side of the ball. The team took Tennessee defensive tackle Matthew Butler and Neil Farrell from LSU. Stan, your overall impression of the six players now, because once again, the Raiders did not have a first or second rounder. They were dealt in the Devontae Adams deal. I, I would say that I found it satisfactory. I wouldn't say that it's an A plus or anything like that, simply because I think there's a few other positions that they needed to address that they did not. But all in all, when you look at the draft and the fact they did not have a first or second round pick and because that was spent on a Devonta Adams. So essentially Devonta Adams is a part of this draft class to a certain degree. That's exactly why I would still go ahead and give them a passing grade. Obviously Devonta Adams, best receiver in the league, no doubt about that. But I think that you got to still address positions at the cornerback. I think you got to still go ahead and add a little beef up front on the defensive line. As far as the defense tackles, things like that. Yes. You fin- you went ahead and uh, you picked up an old lineman, things like that. I like, that I get that but I still think there was other positions you could have addressed all right well let me get to this promo read and then we're going to dive into the position group for the Raiders at this point here in early May our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest sports developments including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs major league baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And don't forget this weekend, a run to the Roses is on at the Kentucky Derby. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BLEED to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. You know, I'm not a big horse person, but uh, I, I I like the Kentucky Derby every year, Stan. I've been to Churchill Downs. I haven't been to the actual race, but I went and toured the facility. And it's, I don't know, something about the Kentucky Derby. I think it's a really, really neat and very special and cool event. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things as well. Never been, but definitely heard good things. And Louisville, Kentucky is always a great time. It is indeed. All right, Stan, let's go ahead now and take a look at a very early Raiders depth chart as it stands today. And Look, the quarterback position, obviously, this is a one of strength. Obviously, Derek Carr is set. Uh, Nick Mullins is the backup. Mullins has 17 career starts, including two against the Raiders. He's a solid player. Heaven forbid he would have to handle the task of stepping in as a spot starter if needed. Just FYI, Carr has only missed two games in his entire career. Stan, we feel good about the quarterback position, overall starter and backup? Yeah, I think that anytime you got, obviously, 
the starter that you want on any team. It's very hard to have the starter you want and the backup you want. So as long as you can have one of the two, I think that you're in pretty good position. And anytime it's a backup, you're already expecting them not to play anyway. So very few situations where if your backup is playing, extensively throughout the season where you actually feel good about your team and you actually feel good about your aspirations. So uh, I'm perfectly fine with the quarterback position. All right, let's move to the very crowded running back position. And Stan, we know Josh Jacobs is the starter. Kenyon Drake coming off a broken ankle. And then they use two draft choices, including Zamir White. Stan, assess this position for me right now. Uh, I don't really have too many qualms about it. I think Josh Jacobs is still going to be the one to carry the load. Uh, obviously, you got other guys still uh, within the stable. So, uh, like I said, I'm not going to sit over here and say it's an A++ or anything like that, but I'm satisfied with where we are right now in the backfield. Well, look at Josh Jacobs. The team declined the fifth-year option on him, and then Kenyon Drake will be a free agent at the end of next season. So, Stan, I've heard a lot of good things about Zamir White. I'm not that familiar with him, but I've heard – he ran a 4-4 at the 40 at the Combine. You know, the Patriots like to use a lot of running backs, so I do think we're going to see him. And then from everything I'm hearing and reading, it sounds like maybe he could be the starter next year because, you know, a lot of teams don't like to give uh, second contracts to, uh, to running backs. Yeah, exactly. So I think for Josh Jacobs, it's more along that as far as not wanting to give him that second contract, not bringing up, not uh, bringing him on for that fifth year option. And then obviously, like I said, you got Kenyon Drake and then you got Zamir White for this year. So if we're talking projecting out for years from now, I'm not exactly happy with the way things look for the Raiders right now. But if we're talking about just the 2022 season, I like where we're at. You got Josh Jacobs, the bell cow. You got a Kenyon Drake coming out the backfield. You got a Zamir White. We can just see what he can do, where they can go ahead and put him in and spot duty out of the backfield, uh, rushing up the middle, trying to get the ball in his hands, putting him out there in space, things like that. So I like that level of starter and I like the depth that you'll see behind it and just also just being ambidextrous and being able to have guys for multiple talents and having having them go ahead and take on multiple roles and not have just Josh Jacobs try to go ahead and handle everything I like where uh where Josh McDaniels is all right let's move to the wide receiver position now Stan we know it's Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro but after that do you think the other starter is Brian Edwards or free agent signing Demarcus Robinson or with Adams and Renfro, does it really matter who that third wide receiver is? Hell yeah, it matters who the third wide receiver is, D.A., simply because, okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go and play the Las Vegas Raiders this week. Let's go ahead and try to shift the coverage to a Devontae Adams side. We'll go ahead and maybe try to bracket a Hunter Renfro. Okay, well, so you know what that third corner, I'm sorry, the third receiver, we're going to go ahead and put our third rookie uh, corner that we drafted in the third round out of Louisville or out of UCLA. We're going to put him on that third receiver over there, and we're going to go ahead and just man him up because we're taking away the other target for the Las Vegas Raiders, well, he's got to go over there and win. So, yes, it still matters who that third receiver is going to be. And obviously, you have a Darren Waller. So, essentially, he would be kind of like the fourth option the third receiver would be. So, you're still going to need to be able to have somebody over there that can beat press man coverage, that can beat one-on-one -on -one coverage, and somebody that can go over there and be able to put more stress on that defense. That way, you do not 
be able to just shift all of your focus toward a Devontae Adams, a Darren Waller, a Hunter Renfro, things like that. That's just going to make you that much more effective. I'll go back to the 2007 New England Patriots. You had a Randy Moss. He led the league in touchdowns that year. Obviously had a lot of yards, went to the Pro Bowl. Well, guess what? Wes Walker was also balling in the slot for them that year. But guess who they also had? They had Dante Stallworth as another receiver. You had uh, Gaffney as another receiver. Two guys who could beat man coverage. Two guys who could get off. So whenever you're putting all of your focus towards a Randy Moss, a.k.a. Devontae Adams, whenever you're putting all your focus toward a Hunter Renfro, a.k.a. Wes Welker, that's when that third receiver is able to go ahead and really do some work, and you got to have somebody who's able to overcome that. Otherwise, there will be certain games. There will be certain times throughout the season where you will see the, Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders offense hit a wall. You'll see them kind of sputter a little bit just because they're taking away the top targets. Dan, do you think it is Brian Edwards? I mean, Edwards, he's made some big plays in his first couple of years, but at, at, at times I feel like he almost disappears when Robinson in his six seasons with the Chiefs, I think the most passes he caught was 45. And I think for being the third or fourth option on this team with 45 catches, that would be good as a fourth option on this team. So for Demarcus Robinson playing out there in Kansas City, learning under the likes of Tariq Hill, under the likes of a Travis Kelsey, under the likes of just an Andy Reid and an Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator, people like that, I think that he may be better at understanding his role and excelling at it. I think Brian Edwards probably has a little bit more talent. I would just go ahead and just say that. But nonetheless, whoever it's going to be, it needs to be somebody who's able to go ahead and excel at that role. And that's also why I was telling you, D.A., just last week, why if I'm the Raiders, I'm not just going to all of a sudden think that, okay, I got Devontae Adams, I got Hunter Renfro, we're set at receiver, and we don't even need to look anymore at the free agent market or the draft or anything like that. That's exactly why I didn't feel like everything was just totally set as far as not needing to add any level of talent more to this group. All right, let's move on to the tight ends now. And Stan, as long as Darren Waller stays healthy, have Foster Moreau as the backup, uh, this is clearly one of the strengths of this football team. And I think it's one of the – No doubt about it. You can make yeah, the no argument about it. this might be the strongest <laughs> in the NFL as a group, this set of tight ends. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's why I said we can just go ahead and go to the next group. <laughs> well, <laughs> just go to the next group. The next group is the biggest question mark, and it's the offensive line. I mean, you know, going into the draft, I would have said, okay, Colton Miller's probably set at left tackle. And then Andre James at center. But then after they drafted Dylan Parham, who's played both guard and center in college, now he's projected to be a center in the NFL. And the other offensive lineman on the roster, Denzel Good, who's coming back from an injury. You have Alex Leatherwood, Brandon Parker, John Simpson, uh, Jermaine Illuminor. So, Stan, as of right now, give me your starting offensive line left to right. And how oh, come on. do you feel uh, this? See this line? I, mean, I would go. Right. I couldn't give it to you. I know, obviously, you're going to have Miller, uh, hold Miller over there as a left tackle. I think you'll probably see Leatherwood as a right guard. And then it's like, as far as we go deeper than that, I'm going to be struggling. I'm not going to even lie to you. I'm going to be struggling when I go ahead and try to patchwork this entire from left to right starting five offensive linemen. But those are two that I'm pretty sure you're going to see in the starting lineup come week one of the regular season. As far as the other ones go, I would just let it be somewhat of a competition battle through OTAs, through minicamp, through training camp, things like that, and even the preseason to just go ahead and see 
what is the best combination? What is the best fit? If you have somebody who's better at the guard position or you have a guard who is not as good as the other ones, but let's say he's better at the center position, he's better playing the pivot, then I, I firmly believe you put your best five guys out there, not necessarily who's the best at each position. And I think that will be the way to go until you have a tackle, a guard, a center, all go ahead and just show themselves as being the cream of the crop. All right, Sam. So if I, I obviously Miller is, we could pencil him in a left tackle. I, hopefully yes. good can bounce back because I really thought he did mm -hmm. a solid job uh, when he had to fill in a guard. I put him there, hopefully James, and then maybe Parham at the right guard. And then Alex Leatherwood, maybe he can make that big leap from year one to year two and go back to that tackle position. But Stan is a roll of dice. I mean, if you, all the names I just said, I mean, you said, you, you know, just let the best five go. But I mean, give me a grade on this group right now. If you were looking at this group, five being the highest, one being the lowest, where would you put this as a group? Where would you put them? Because I'd be times, the highest. At times they struggled last year, and at times they, okay, they played well, but it was just, it was a roller coaster with that offensive line. And that's that they performed. I would probably give them a solid five being the highest, one being the lowest. I'd probably give them a solid uh, 3.4. You know, something like that, 3.3, 3.4. And just like what you just said, you know, this team still did go to the playoffs. And this team still was within a score of beating the team that represented the AFC in the Super Bowl, who almost won the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. That's why I would still give them about a 3.4, something like that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of room to be desired uh, with the improvement of this offensive line. But because they were a group, that was protecting Derek Carr, who also was leading this team to another playoff berth. That's why I can't just completely condemn them and act like they're garbage, hot trash, anything like that. They still collect a check every Tuesday. So I'm going to give them the respect that they deserve. And I'm going to give them an above average, or should I say, I'm going to give them above three sure. uh, type of grade. No, I don't think it's garbage. I mean, like you said, they got them to the playoffs. And I think it was just, if you look at this team as a whole, it's probably the one area of the biggest concern heading no into doubt about it where it is at, at this uh, at this moment so all right man let's move over to the defensive side of the ball your specialty let's begin up front with the edge rushers Stan this could be the best duo on the league got Max Crosby Chandler Jones the backups include Clee Farrell Malcolm Coons I will say this no they're not going to be the best uh duo in the in the NFL they're not even the best duo in the AFC West because down there in Los Angeles you got Khalil Mack and you got the Bosa. So that right okay. there. And I love my Raiders. No doubt about it. I love my Raiders. No doubt about it. But if I'm just going to just be a fan, I think that Khalil Mack and uh, Joey Bosa, I think that they're going to edge out Chandler Jones and a Max Crosby as far as production getting after the quarterback. Not going to be a large margin, but I think that they will go ahead and outpace him just a little bit. Doesn't, doesn't mean I'm saying the Chargers are going to win the division. Oh, I mean, I'm saying the Chargers are going to the playoffs. <laughs> but if we're talking about just simply the pass-rushing duo, I think that Bosa and, and uh, Khalil Mack is a little bit more prolific than a Chandler Jones and a Max Crosby. And it's mainly because Joey Bosa been to multiple Pro Bowls. We all know how he is. Khalil Mack, come on. I mean, people are still uh, maligning the Raiders for trading away Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears. Chandler Jones, even going back to his days with the New England Patriots, is the former first-round pick at Syracuse. But uh, Max Crosby, my man, 
somebody who I think is going to be a defensive player of the year in one of these years coming up for the Raiders. But because Max Crosby, he had double-digit sacks his rookie year, he has not had double digits since, even though this past season went to the Pro Bowl, made all pro, much deserved, got the big, lengthy, lucrative contract. Everything is much deserved because he's more of the new kid on the block. And you've got those boys down there in Los Angeles that are proven. They're perennial Pro Bowlers. They're proven. And Chandler Jones is a proven name. And with the Max Crosby, who's more of the new kid on the block, that's why I would still give the edge to the Chargers. But Stan, is the Raiders pass rush better now with Chandler Jones in replacing Yannick Ngakwe? Yes, because once again, like I said, in the Yannick Ngakwe, like I, I really did not want to see him leave. I did. Sure. Agreed. I think if you if I think if you have Yannick Ngakwe and a Chandler Jones and a Max Crosby, oh my God, look out. But uh, but as far as like I said, Chandler Jones, even though he's starting to get somewhat a little long in the tooth as far as his age, a little bit. Uh, I think that he still has enough savviness. He still knows how to beat you with his mind and just simply that experience to be able to go ahead and uh and and have a good and have a good year and be able to put the quarterback on his back and have another Pro Bowl uh, campaign. All right, Stan. Let's move to the defensive tackles now. You got Jonathan Hankins coming back. You got Nichols, Vernon Butler, Andrew Billings. Neil Farrell Jr., uh, Matthew Butler. Stan, I got to be honest with you. Other than Hankins, I'm not really sure who a lot of these guys are, and I'm certainly yeah. hoping that they become household names throughout the season. Uh, the Raiders making that transition from the, what the four-three to the three-four. So yes, which is a big difference. Yeah. So uh, do you like this group, or do you? What are you seeing out of this group? I mean, obviously, like I said, you got to get more push up front. You got to get more of that Aaron Donald type of push from up front because that deters the quarterback from being able to step up into the pocket, which disallows a lot of these pocket passers from being able to have prolific numbers. So that's why, like I say, I still would have loved to have seen them address this, whether it's free agency or the draft, the interior pass rush, the run stuffers. That's why I would have uh, liked to go ahead and address that position a little bit more. Stan, you know what I find interesting is you hear uh, teams like, I got to find another edge rusher. I got to find the next this guy on the outside. I got to find the next outside guy that can rush the quarterback. I never hear teams saying, I got to find the next Aaron Donald who can push. (laughs) You know, know, look, he's a once in a generational player, but you never hear about that. Like, I got to find the next guy who can push the pocket from the middle, up the middle. You know what I'm saying? Because, yes, that right there is so important. It is so imperative. When you have somebody that can collapse the pocket from the front, it disallows the quarterbacks to be able to step up. And I remember going back to my years in Oakland, dealing with the Rod Woodson or Rob Ryan, there are certain types of quarterbacks in this league. You have your pocket passers. And for them, you want to go ahead and pressure them from up the middle. You don't want to allow them to step up in the pocket. So whenever we played the San Diego Chargers, who had a Phillip Rivers, he's a pocket passer. Phillip Rivers was a statue. He didn't want to get outside the pocket. So we always used Terdell Sands, Tommy Kelly, two of our big defensive tackles. They pressured him from up the middle, and it disallowed him from being able to step up in the pocket. And Terdell Sands used to always be able to dominate Nick Hardwick, who's a Pro Bowl center for the Chargers for a number of years. But they pressured him from up the middle, so it disallowed him to be able to step up into the pocket. For a mobile quarterback, a guy like an Aaron Rodgers, a guy like a a Mark Jackson, or even a Josh Allen, for crying out loud, those guys, you want to pressure them from the outside. That's where the edge rushers 
really come into play because you want to keep them in the pocket, or should I say, you want to keep them in the phone booth because when Aaron Rodgers gets outside the pocket, Pat Mahomes, that's when they're deadly. They're good from inside the pocket. They're great from inside the pocket. But when they get outside the pocket, they're deadly. And that's why for different quarterbacks, you want to be able to attack them from different ways. A Tom Brady, another one, he's a pocket passer. You want to pressure him from up the middle. Get him outside the pocket because he's truly a fish out of water once he get it, gets outside. So, yeah, I think that when you look at how outside of an Aaron Donald, he's really the only household name when it comes to interior edge rushers. Right. Doesn't mean he's the only good one. But when you really think of the best pass rushers in the league, you think of a Max Crosby, you think of a Khalil Mack, a Joey Bosa, a Chase Young, a Chandler Jones. I can go all the way down the list. They're usually edge rushers because sacks equal stacks. That's what everybody's going to be paying the high $100 million premium for the guys that go ahead and, you know, get after the quarterback. And usually it's the edge rushers. That's why Aaron Donald is such a unicorn. That's why he's like that Warren Sapp type, even for Mm -hmm. J.J. Watt back when he was at his height. To Mm -hmm. be able to pressure the quarterback from up the middle where also it's easier to double team the guys who were the interior alignment. And that's why you don't see them have as many sacks. So I remember a couple of years ago, I believe Aaron Donald had 20 sacks in a season uh, a couple of years ago. And that's why it was so phenomenal because it's easy to double team it. It's easy to triple team it. You know, it's very difficult to go ahead and try to uh, triple team or double team a guy on the edge. If you're not sending a back to go ahead and chip him, something like that, like a Von Miller, people like that. So that's why an interior pass rusher, interior, Oh, my God, they're worth their weight in gold. Sacks equals stats. Damn, I, got, I like that. I might borrow that from <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't worry. You got it. All right. Let's move to the linebackers now, Stan. We've got Denzel Perriman, uh, Divine Diablo, Jahan Brown, Micah Kaiser. Stan, uh, what do you think of this group? Uh, I think, uh, obviously, like I said, there's still a little bit that, uh, you know, needs to be added to it. But nonetheless, like I said, right now we are in early May going to be soon in June. So we're already starting OTA. So right now it's also to the point where you really just have to go to the, go to war with the guys that you already have within the stable because you can't really add too much more. So hopefully these guys will go ahead. A lot of them will go ahead and mature. Some of them will go ahead and start ascending. And then that just helps elevate the defense that much more. You know, Stan, I thought Perriman did a great job. I think he came over from Carolina for a sixth round. Pick. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. The Pro Bowl year. tackles. Yeah. Pro Bowl. Exactly. So I thought, you know, you could definitely pencil him. And I thought Diablo did a nice job when he came on late in the year, taking over for Corey Littleton Brown comes over for the Titans where he was a four-year starter and played both the run and the pass effectively. So look, I think this is actually, this is probably the best core that they've had. I mean, I know the linebacker has been an area of weakness for a long time, but this is the best I felt about this group. Woo, Stan, in a long, long time. So I think, you know, yeah, yeah, I do. I feel I feel pretty good about this. In the corners now, uh, you got Trayvon Mullen, Rocky Sin. I, I, I love that name. I can I can never get tired of saying <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a great name, isn't it? Rocky Sin and then Nate Hobbs include and the backups include Anthony Averitt, Darius Phillips. Uh Yassin comes over from the Colts. He's young, he's gotten better every year. So Stan, I know Casey Hayward got away, but you got Rocky Sin. Yep. Do you think they could have maybe added another corner or you like this group heading into the season where no doubt about it. I think they could add another corner, but they didn't. So like I said, you're going to have to go to war with those guys. And I think that obviously with a Rocky, I said, he can go ahead and be kind of like your, 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 your main piece, your number one guy over there at the cornerback position. But I still would have liked them to go ahead and add some more Trayvon Mullen. He's going, he's shown some flashes here and there throughout his young career, but he's got to take that next step. 
he's definitely going to have to. And I think that when you look at them as a whole, I say once again, it leaves room to be desired. But that where is it where it puts so much more onus on a Max Crosby, on a Chandler Jones to be able to get after the quarterback. And that way that ball is going to come out a little bit quicker. That way that you're going to see a little bit more pressure on the quarterback, which is going to alleviate some of the pressure on those corners. But nonetheless, like you just said, I, I would love to have seen them add another piece. I would have loved to have seen that, but they didn't. So now those guys are just going to, have to go, going to have to go ahead and they're going to have to play really, really above their heads. Well, Stan, this is a position you played. And let me ask about Trayvon Mullen because I thought he showed flashes in his first couple of years. Unfortunately, the last year couldn't stay healthy. I've always kind of viewed him as a number two. Do you see him as a number two or do you think he could elevate and be a number one? Well, right now I see him more as a number three, just oh, because, okay. because he has the ability. I think he just has to put it together. Now, obviously you could see throughout the last couple of years, a lot of the mishaps, a lot of just simply the miscommunication, things like that in the backfield, I'm sorry, in the defensive backfield, where it just seems like they're not on the same page, a lot of big plays being had. And it seems like it's more mental errors than it is physical errors, things like that. That's why for Trayvon Mullen, I've seen him play. I like him. I see flashes. I just want him to go ahead and put it all together. I think he has the ability to be a number one receiver, but I think he's got to go ahead and put the mental with the physical and have that laser focus. And I think that you will see him be able to ascend to that. But right now, because I see there's times where he'll be in cover two and he will allow a receiver or the number two guy to go and get behind him on, let's say, a flag pattern, when all he's got to do is just sink and he's able to pick that pass off, things like that. That's what gives me cause to pause whenever you ask that question. But I definitely think he has the ability to do that no matter what. And I think if he adds the physical with the mental, that laser focus, I definitely think that he could be a number one corner in this league, no doubt about it. Stan, is cornerback the toughest position on defense to play, especially if you're a team that plays prior? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. This is the most difficult position on the football field outside of quarterback. Yes, no doubt about it. And I say that simply because whenever we're thinking of whenever we're thinking of the Super Bowl and we see Jalen Ramsey get beat on that touchdown by T. Higgins, we see him get beat on a deep ball by Jamar Chase. Are we thinking, oh man, Von Miller and uh and uh and Aaron Donald didn't sack Joe Burrow on that? That's not what you're thinking. You're like, oh man, Jamar Chase just burned Jalen Ramsey. T. Higgins just burned Jalen Ramsey for a touchdown. So the thing is. At the cornerback position, because of the way the, the, that the rules are now being skewed toward the offense, you can't even breathe on the receiver or else they're going to call a penalty. Uh, now with so much of the spread offense, you're seeing a lot of the deterioration of the man coverage corner. You're seeing a lot more zone because teams are employing more zone defense to stop this air raid offense that you're seeing matriculate from the collegiate game to the NFL game. That right there. The, the rules being skewed toward the offense and just simply having that short-term memory because if a defensive lineman does not pressure the quarterback, they don't sack the quarterback, that's not going to be the headline. The headline is going to be the last man by, or should I say the last line of defense. If a linebacker gets out of his gap and the running back winds up picking up a 13-yard gain, nobody in the stand says anything. But if you get beat on a 50-yard touchdown, everybody in the damn stadium and everybody on TV is going to see that. And then the camera is going to pan to you, you know, number 23 or number 27 or whatever, because you just got beat on a long touchdown. Or should I say you're the person who was closest to the guy scoring. So they assumed that that was on you. So just from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, even emotionally, I would say that is the most difficult position on the football field outside of quarterback. All right.
right, let's move now to the safeties. We got Trayvon Merritt, Jonathan Abram, Harry Gillespie. Trayvon Merritt, Stan was obviously had it coming off a great rookie campaign. Jonathan Abram, yes. the team declined the fifth-year option on him. I thought he looked uh-huh. good moving up into the box, but still struggled past defense. Stan, this is an area, the safety position, I thought was one maybe they could have perhaps addressed in the draft. What do you yes. think of uh, this particular group right now? Same exact thing. Just rinse and repeat. That's another position I feel like they could have addressed. Obviously, they didn't. Hopefully, Mo Rig is going to go ahead and take another leap going into year two. I really liked him as a rookie. I liked him in college at the TCU. Hopefully, he'll take another leap. Jonathan Abram, maybe this will go ahead and light a fire up under him as well. They didn't pick up your fifth-year option. So now, if you're in a contract year, you're an impending free agent after this football season. So maybe that will get him going. And then also, having a new defensive coordinator, that also can do wonders for certain guys as far as just now, not a change of scenery, but now just a change of philosophy, making things a little bit simpler, putting them in positions to be successful, not just putting them out there and telling them to be successful, things like that. So hopefully, you will see Big steps being taken out of everybody within the secondary, especially a Jonathan Abram. And then hopefully that'll go ahead and elevate the style of play within this defense. But once again, like I said before, I think you're going to put so much onus on a Chandler Jones, on a Max Crosby to go ahead and get after the quarterback, even Cleveland Farrell, whenever he's in the game, to be able to get after the quarterback. That way, you're not having to depend on the DBs to make plays on the ball. You're just simply putting the pressure on those guys up, up front that way, the, the pass doesn't even get off. So the secondary, they don't even got to worry about making a play on it because quarterback's over there on his back. So now it's third down and becoming fourth down. You got to punt the ball, things like that. So if that is not the case for Max Crosby and a Chandler Jones, you're going to have to see big steps out of everybody in the secondary this season. Right. Cleve Farrell also the team declining his fifth-year option. Patrick Graham, the new Defensive coordinator for the Raiders. Finally, got the special teams. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better trio than kicker Daniel Carlson, punter A.J. Cole, long snapper Trent Sieg. Stan, let's get to our final topic, and it has to deal with the Tennessee Titans. They selected Liberty quarterback Malik Willis in the third round of the draft. In yep. a press conference earlier this week, Ryan Tannehill was asked if it was his job to mentor uh, Willis. And, you know, it's a loaded question. He said no. Uh, you played eight years in the NFL. You've been there. You've been a rookie. You've been a veteran. Stan, is it his job to mentor the young guy coming in? No, the hell it's not his job, but it's listed in the fine print, and it's one of those things that's understood. And I don't mind him being honest because us in the media or just, you know, NFL aficionados, fans, what do they always clamor for? They want authenticity out of players, right? And then when the player gives you authenticity, now you want to condemn him because how dare he actually say what he really felt was on his mind. So that's number one. Number two, I will say this. This is where you have to understand things in the dichotomy of athlete versus team. For Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill just signed a contract, I believe it was last year, four years, $120, $30 million a year, something like that. Well, Ryan Tannehill wants to continue living good. And if Malik Willis takes his starting spot, he's not going to be making $30 million as a backup. So he wants to maintain his starting spot. He wants to maintain his livelihood. He wants to make sure he can continue to feed his family, things like that. So he's not going to just walk into the room and usher Malik Willis into his starting spot. He's not going to groom him so he can all of a sudden now eventually take his spot. You got to think of it like that from that mindset. And anybody who has a problem with that, 
who's always oh, talking about the team. It's all about the organization. Okay, this is what I say. I want anybody who's listening to this podcast, anybody who has a job right now on planet Earth, doesn't matter whether it's America, Siberia, China, I don't care, and you work any job at all, I want you to look yourself in the mirror. Imagine that your boss just bought in somebody new into the company who's going to be learning under you. And you know your boss bought this person in to eventually replace you. Ask yourself exactly how motivated, how happy you are going to be to groom them, give all, them all the little tricks of the trade, give them all, them all the little nuances. Also, they can become better at their job, which is going to eventually involve them replacing you. I challenge anybody to look me in my eye and say they would be happy to actually show their understudy the nuances, not a, this is where the facility is, this is how you get to work on time, this is where you go punching your clock. I'm No, I'm not talking about those. Uh-uh. I'm talking about the little tricks to the trade, the little nuances, those little intricate details that you only can learn from experience, that you only can learn from actually being on the job, not from reading a book, not from reading a manual, nothing like that. You got to actually be in the fire to learn those things. I challenge anybody to actually look me in my eye and say, yeah, Stanford, I actually would be happy to go ahead and groom the next person who's going to eventually put me out of a job. That way I can no longer feed my family. So I understand where Ryan Tannehill is coming from. That's part of the fine print within being an athlete is that when the younger people come in, you got to go and take them under your wing, things like that. It's understood, but it's something that you definitely don't like to do. And anybody that wants to condemn him for actually, A, being authentic, B, actually wanting to continue to feed his own damn family, and he can only do that by continuing to be the starting quarterback. Anybody that wants to condemn him, I would simply challenge them to actually look me in my eye and tell me if another guy comes into their company at their job, their place of employment, and they are asked to groom that said employee who eventually is going to take their job, put them out of a job, who would do that with a smile on their face and actually would be happy to come to work and would be motivated, excited to do that, they got to come and talk to me. I, I, I want to I look them in their eyes they tell me that. You know, I think it's interesting, Stan, because you got a couple of cases uh, that I wanted to bring up were back in, what, 2005, the Packers selected uh, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, Favre yeah. Not his mentor, but at the other, on the flip side of that, you heard stories where the Kansas City Chiefs took Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. Actually, you've heard them. Alex Smith took Patrick Mahomes under his wing and mentored him. And to me, Stan, this is an outsider looking in. My thing is, the rookie's got to come in, and if your starting quarterback, the guy in front of you, is handling his business on and off the field the way a professional is supposed to be then the new kid, the new quarterback coming in should pick up on that and should learn yeah. from that and should be asking questions about, you know, just life in the NFL, both on and off the field. And yeah, if no he's doing that, then he should be able to step in and be that next starting quarterback for that franchise. And Ryan Tannehill, let me tell you something. If you would have played better against the Cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> they probably wouldn't be taking Malik Willis, you know, after yeah. you threw three or four interceptions. In, yep. in that playoff game. So 
you know, look, I think in the NFL, we see, especially at the quarterback position, we're always drafted for the future, always drafted for the future. And you're like, okay, well, Ryan Tannehill, you're only going to be here a short time, whether it's three or four years. We want to make sure the next guy taking over for you is ready to come in and produce and get a lot of wins for our team. Yeah. I, I mean, and I trust me, I totally agree. I get both sides of it. I think where, where a lot of fans have to understand is that fans act like you're supposed to be happy to do it. Like right. you're supposed to be happy to grow I me. Mean, I'm sorry. Look at Aaron Rodgers. He's now on the other side of that him and Brett Favre saga that happened in 2005, Lovett. our draft class year. Does Aaron Rodgers look like he's in a rush to go ahead and, you know, try to tell, man, the quarterback of the, the Packers, just Jordan Love, hey, whenever I leave the pocket and I'm looking for Devonta Adams crossing the middle, this is really what I'm looking for so I can throw that laser strike pass over there for, you know, 50-yard bomb for a touchdown. He ain't giving him those damn uh, those damn pointers. And so that's where for fans, they act like, oh, my God, he's selfish. Listen, everybody, if you want to make it to the elite level of any profession, I don't care which one it is, you got to be a little bit selfish. You do indeed. All right, partner, good stuff as always. And uh, we'll do next week. Hey, we got the schedule coming out. So, uh, oh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't know. wait. We'll record one next Thursday, and we'll have it on Friday. All right, that's oh, going to yeah. do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rep, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.